Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Well, welcome to week three of this series through the book in the New Testament, James. For the past few weeks, we've been unpacking this thesis statement that a faith that works takes work. Even when nothing in our life is working out, faith works. And faith is so much more than an intellectual understanding of who God is and and what he's done. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says to do, even when the trials and difficulties come our way. So as we get started today, let's get Uh, going with a quick word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for the truth of the scriptures, which we believe changes us from the inside out and makes us more and more like your son, Christ Jesus. Today, uh, in those moments where maybe we feel uncomfortable or challenged by what you have to say, would you give us the courage and strength to continue to lean in? Help my words be clear today so that you could be glorified. And I pray these things in the power of your son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, today, James is going to help us see that wealth can work for you or it can work against you. Now, there's a story of of two gentlemen that are shipwrecked and they uh, somehow miraculously paddle their way to shore and they find themselves stranded on a desert island. The first gentleman, he's panicked. He's pacing the island, looking for boat, looking for some sort of way to, to get themselves out of here, you know, and the other guy, he is just camped out on the beach, taking in some sun, and he's totally relaxed. Now, the guy that's panicked says, how can you just be so chill in this moment? We're going to die here. He says, listen, I make $100,000 a week. He says, okay, that's nice. That must be incredible, but that's not going to help us right now. And he says, no, 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 you're not listening. I make $100,000 a week and I'm a Christian. And he says, great. The, the guy that's panicked is like, not, not only are we stranded on an island, I'm stranded with the guy that's delusional. What are you going to do? Buy us a miracle to get us out of here? And he says, no, 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 let me finish. I make $100,000 a week and I'm a Christian, which means that I tithe faithfully 10% of my income every week to the church. So I know that my pastor is going to find me. Now, if you didn't laugh at that joke or at least chuckle at that joke, you can send an email to the elders at elders at easternhills.org because believe it or not, that is a joke that helped me get this job. When I was candidating for this position, I had to film a video and they say, you got to tell a joke. And that was the joke that I told and the elders at the time all enjoyed it. And I'm sharing it today because it's important to laugh. It's important to laugh today because You know, as I prayed, there might be some things that challenge us today or make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so James is going to start us at James uh, chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's start here. So James starts by comparing and contrasting two different experiences. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. And one thing to point out here, so James's letter is to those that have placed their faith in Christ. So he's giving a word, a challenge to them. He says, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Now, upon first glance, it might sound like James is saying, is it better for believers to be poor than rich? Is uh, having money or having wealth a negative? Is living in poverty an advantage? If, if I have less wealth in my life or less money in my life, am I more morally superior than others? Or maybe you read this and say, should I feel guilty about the wealth that I have? And anytime we get stuck when we're studying the scriptures on our own, the best thing to do is to look at context. With confusion, look at context because context is key. And so if we back up to where James starts this conversation, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so in context, James is saying, not if we if we experience trials, but when we experience trials, difficult seasons are going to come our way. Will we have the type of faith that trusts God enough to do what he says to do? And in verse 13, shortly after the the section that I just read, James begins to talk about temptations. And so if we look at the total argument of what James is saying is, hey, we're going to experience trials in life. And when the trials come our way, one of the temptations that we're going to experience is the opportunity to trust wealth more more than we trust Jesus. Now, if you're watching today and you're thinking, well, I'm not sure if this applies to me because I wouldn't consider myself a wealthy person. You know, I was thinking about it this week and I want to share some of my experience with wealth with you just to help us frame this conversation. Now, in fifth grade, I wanted to play guitar. And I wanted to learn how to play, so I asked my grandparents for guitar, and, and they got me a guitar, and they got me some lessons. And all that my parents needed to do was to buy me the guitar case. Now, when it came time for the lessons, I had asked them to get me the case, and they said, we simply can't afford it. And I was thinking, guitar cases aren't that, a, aren't, aren't that expensive. But nonetheless, they said, well, I walk to school, or I ride my bike to school. What if it rains? Or if it's snowing. And my mom's solution to this problem was to get a black trash bag and to put my guitar in the trash bag. And so I went to school that first day of lessons with my guitar and my black trash bag. And yep, in, in middle school, my friends and the other students let me have it. In that moment, I felt the absence of wealth. And a few years later, we moved from that location, a poor part of Massachusetts, to a more wealthier part of Massachusetts. And I can still remember the first week of school, leaving science class and meeting Alex in the bathroom. I didn't know he was there. But because I looked different and I didn't have the, the, the new shoes like everybody did as, as when you start school or, or a new set of clothes, the right backpack or the right haircut, I looked different. You know, it was clear that I didn't come from money and Alex wanted to make that clear that I didn't belong there. And that's still a memory in my mind. So I have experienced an absence of wealth and I've also uh, experienced an abundance of wealth. When we lived in, in Utah before coming to New York, a few years in, well, we had bought a home there and you know things were, were growing in the area and 
lo and behold, our equity had significantly grown in wealth. I mean, the type of wealth that just kind of blew my mind in my young 30s. And for some of you, that might not be a high number, but for some of you might have said that, you know, wow, that is a very high number. For, but for us, I was like, wow, I've, I've not experienced this before in my life. And in fact, some of the things that we have today is, is because of our home growing in, in equity during that time. So I've experienced an absence of wealth and also an abundance of wealth in my life. But as you assess this conversation about wealth, before you check out and before you're quick to say, well, I'm, I'm not really wealthy because there are people in my life that are wealthy. Let me ask you this. Have you heard of this before? I was reading about it this week. Uh, it's called comparison theory. And what comparison theory says is that our gravitational pull is to compare ourselves morally with other people that we think are worse than we are. Like, I'm not as bad as they are. You know, I made some bad decisions, but I'm a good person. Now that they are bad people, you know, I'm not like them. And comparison theory also says that we do the same things when it comes to finances. That we say, well, I, I have, I'm not poor, but I'm not rich. I'm not really wealthy. I mean, I know people in my life. Now they've got money. And so we, we do this often culturally as Americans. And it could be argued that here in this country, we tend to gravitate towards feeling more morally superior than our neighbors. And at the same time, we're blind to the fact that from an historical and global perspective, we are wealthy. You see, when James says, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower, he's painting a picture and saying, you know, wealth works until it doesn't. It can work for you. It can work against you. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. He says, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It's, it blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. You see, wealth fades and it's dangerous. James is describing a scenario where a group of people are so focused on their wealth that they're oblivious that they are locked in and they're missing out on what's around them. The busyness, the pursuit of wealth is distracting them from Jesus. Now, in a conversation about money, we got to be careful. In a conversation about wealth, we got to be careful to say, you know, that wealth is not bad. It's not. Again, wealth can work for you or can work against you. See, here's what James says next. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's unpack this real quick. Uh, there are five heavenly crowns mentioned in the New Testament that are promised to believers, those that have placed their faith and confidence in Jesus. There's the, the imperishable crown, uh, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. And then in the last book of the Bible, the last book of the New Testament, we read in Revelation about the crown of life. Now, what's interesting is that during James's time, you know, a crown was a badge of, of royalty. It was a, a prize given during public games, a reward for athletic contests. You know, it was a, a way to honor people. And so James is saying is that what Jesus is promising is this crown of life for those who love God. And so the question becomes then how do we demonstrate our love for God? How do we receive this crown of life? And the apostle Paul, the apostle John, sorry, answers that question for us. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. 
You see, God had plenty to say about wealth and Jesus talked about the subject more than any other. And so when it comes to God's specific commands and what he said and when it comes to mouth uh, or wealth, uh, Timothy helps us out. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now, one of the things that are coming up for, that's coming up for our church, we haven't settled on a date yet, but we've agreed to participate, is an opportunity called Feed My Starving Children. You know, recently, some of the staff, we went out to the Vineyard Church uh, over by the fairgrounds, and we got to participate in this awesome uh, opportunity where we're we're packing meals together. I mean, hundreds of, of meals that are going to be sent to children that are living in poverty and are starving to death. I mean, many of us have, have never lived in that type of situation where we're not sure where our next meal is going to come from. And so this is an opportunity to literally, and, and generosity with our finances and our time, help those that have a significant Need. It's a way of demonstrating being generous with our wealth. Consider those who are rich in this pre- present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so if we move forward in faith, if we move forward in trusting God enough to say what he says to do when it comes to wealth, that even in the temptation when life gets difficult to try to lean into wealth instead of leaning into Jesus, when we make that choice to have faith and confidence in him, the result is blessing. It's a life that is true, that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. James says, this is a blessing, that blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's a, it's a guarantee. It's not if this might happen, that as we are obedient to his commands, God blesses us and he promises something that will give us true life, true meaning, true purpose, and true joy, and true satisfaction. Now, remember, this is coming from James, Jesus's little brother. And so this is kind of like reading the documentary, the, the inside scoop on what James experienced through the ministry of Jesus. In one of Jesus's famous uh, conversations, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made a bold statement. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. You see, the love of money disrupts our allegiance to Jesus. Before his ministry began, Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. And he was tempted by Satan. He was taken up to these high mountains. And what Satan did is he said, he showed him all of the, all of the kingdoms and all of their glory. He said, all of this can be yours if you will just, you know, bow down and worship me. And in that moment, Jesus overcame temptation with truth. And he said, it is written that we should worship the Lord, our God, and we should only serve him. So let me give you an honest confession this morning. One of the things that I do, and I hate that I do this with my wife, I do this with my kids, it's a problem that I will be engaged in a conversation and she's having a conversation with me and I'm texting at the same time. Like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, 
Right. Uh-huh. And my kids will come up and I'll be quick to, yep, yeah, let me just, okay, yep, yeah, I hear you. Sure, sure. And, and in that moment, I'm physically present, but I'm relationally absent. And I share that because what happens in our relationship with Jesus is that when we are focused on wealth, and that's our pursuit, when we show up to worship him, whether it's in a Sunday service or, or during the week through our quiet time, when we're trying to worship him and we're focused on wealth, we're physically present, but we're relationally absent. Why? Because the love of money disrupts our allegiance to Jesus. More so, the love of money disrupts our allegiance to each other. And this isn't even just a church issue. If you're tuning in today and you're not a Bible person, someone said, you know, you should watch this. I think you'll find it helpful and hopeful. This moment of the message is something that we can all easily wrap our hearts and mind around. Because we've had experience in our life where greed has gotten in the way of relationships. Maybe greed has disrupted family dynamics. Maybe you've experienced the painful loss of someone that you loved and that pain was compounded by family members fighting over who gets what and how much. Maybe you've been in social settings before where it gets a little awkward. It gets a little awkward because you and your friends are on different financial trajectories. You know, you're vacationing and, and experiencing some of the blessings that come from wealth and they're filing for bankruptcy and their home is being foreclosed upon. You see, in, in our country, in our community, in our culture, what we do is we form social circles often around what we earn and what we spend. And that bleeds into the church. You see, the love of money disrupts our allegiance to one another. Wealth can certainly work against us, but it can also work for us. You see, the love of Christ distributes wealth for his purposes. You see, the goal, my goal today is to not help, not help you feel guilty, right? There's enough things in our life where we experience guilt and shame. No one should feel guilty about how much wealth they have or don't have. You see, what Jesus wants you and I to feel is to feel responsible, do you know what responsible people do? They invest in what's best. Humor me for a second. I, you might not do this, but just repeat these words with me. Invest in what's best. Invest in what's best. And this summer, our church, because of their generosity and because they stepped forward and because of their love of Jesus, our church decided to invest in what's best. And we had an awesome opportunity, something we called Freedom Sunday. And I want to share you, with you some of the footage from that moment. Take a look at the video now. You know, I'm grateful to pastor at this church that is so generous that because of our love for Jesus, we, we choose to invest in God's kingdom and we choose to hold loosely our wealth. You see, when you choose to invest in God's kingdom, here's what you're demonstrating for the community around you. When it comes to your wealth, you are open-handed. You hold it loosely. But when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to his command, you are holding tightly to the truth of the scriptures. See, that's what James is saying here is that when it comes to wealth, we want to open it. We want to be generous and willing, willing to share. But when it comes to Jesus, we want to hold tightly to his command and what he has to say. And that, that helps us persevere through the trials and hardships and the temptations and to receive this crown of life that Jesus has promised. 
And so this week, I have a, a couple of questions that are helpful to help you process how you might respond. And, and I would encourage you to do this in your quiet time or do this as you're driving to work or driving the kids to school and, and just wrestle with these two questions. You see, the first question is, what is it that you are holding tightly? If it's wealth, well, wealth works until it doesn't. It can work for you or it can work against you. Is that the thing that you're pursuing in this season? Is that the most important? Is that the thing that you're sacrificing your time and family and relationships to pursue? And maybe your pursuit of wealth and holding on tightly has, has led you to this place of financial instability. You know, here at Eastern Hills, we have a class called Financial Peace University. And a lot of people have had their lives changed from simply leaning in for a few weeks and learning about how to be a good steward of their finances. And at the end, as, as you're a good steward, you're able to hold loosely your wealth and, and invest and to be generous. So maybe you consider taking that class. In fact, it's starting this week and there's still time to sign up. And we don't want anybody to ever say no to taking that class because of finances, there's always a scholarship to help you take that course. Now, maybe it's not FPU. Maybe this week as you're considering, okay, how do I begin to, to be more generous and not hold so tightly to my wealth so I can, you know, honor God with, with his commands to be generous and willing to share? Well, one simple thing that anybody can do, even if you're not a Jesus follower, this is something you can do this week, is a simple act of generosity. You know, maybe you're buying a cup of coffee at the coffee shop and there's someone behind you in line or someone behind you in the drive through and just offer to pay for their beverage or just take care of it and say, I'll take and I'll pay for whatever they got too. That simple act of generosity can change someone's day. They go from a moment where they're going through a hard season, but because you were generous, just something changes in how they go about their day. Or maybe you, you take it a step further and the type of generosity that you display uh, not just alters someone's day, but it alters the trajectory of their life. This past summer, someone, uh, someone's generosity significantly blessed our family. They sent us to Florida and we kept telling our kids the whole time we were there, some of the things that we're doing, yeah, we're, we're never going to get to experience this again. This is, this is kind of a once in a, a lifetime type of trip, trip. It was a huge blessing and it significantly altered a trajectory of our life. Um, we, we were so appreciative of it. But as you're thinking about this and what you might do this week, here's something else to consider. And I think it's something that we can all agree with, that when it comes to who we have, that who we have is more important than what we have. See, sometimes we're holding on, slightly, so holding on tightly so much to the what that we don't pay enough attention to the who. This was really obvious to me when my first daughter was born, Rose. This was, you know, uh, eight years ago now, we were like most first-time parents, kind of nervous, like what's this going to be like, but so, you know, preoccupied with getting the room all set up, all perfect, the colors, you know, we didn't have a, a lot of, of money, you know, during that time. In fact, this is a, a fun story. When we first got married, my uh, my wife's friends offered to allow us to stay in their mother-in-law quarters behind their house. They had a small little studio apartment and they said, we're only going to charge you utilities. And so it was a great opportunity for me being a young pastor in ministry to save a lot of money, but it was a studio apartment. So whenever 
you know, we had conflict, there was no room to go to. The only real room inside the studio apartment was the closet. And so me and my wife, we've got memories of her being on one side of the closet, me being on the other side of the closet and trying to work through conflict. But, you know, we were able to save some money. We were able to get a house shortly before our daughter was born. And when we were in, we were trying to get it all perfect. It is amazing the amount of things that you can buy for kids to stay with electronics and security systems so that you don't have to get up. You can just, oh, you know what? They're not really crying hard, hard yet. They can just continue to cry it out a little bit more. You know, there's the, the diaper pail, like for sure, you can get this diaper pail and it will for sure seal it. No smells whatsoever. I mean, this is the one that you got. I mean, there's all these, you know, there's the Cadillac version and there's the, like the Ford Fiesta version. And so we were wrapped up in all of that. And then came time for the delivery. And in delivery, my wife was having some complications. You know, she had a 30-hour uh, delivery, uh, being in labor and the whole, you know, process. And then, you know, they gave her some medicine. And then all of a sudden, the baby was like zero to 60. You know, she had this oxygen match. The heart rate is going up and down. And you see all of these nurses and the doctor there. And I had to step out. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, what if my wife doesn't make it through this? Or what if something's wrong with my child? And, and my stepdad's like, you need to calm down. And I'm like, I'm trying to keep it together. And in that moment, I wasn't thinking about the diaper pail or the nursery or all of those things. All I wanted was for my kids, my kid to be okay and my wife to be okay. See, who you have is so much more important than what you have. Be cautious. Are you holding on to the things that are most important in life because the most expensive things in life will not satisfy the most important things in life? What is it that you are holding tightly? Here's a better question. In fact, it's the question. Who has you? You see, I'm a Christian today because of a historically verifiable event. Because Jesus is risen, the resurrection validates everything that Jesus claimed about himself and everything that he has promised to me and has promised to you. And what the resurrection teaches us is this, that when it came to Jesus' rights and he came, when it came to his riches, that he held them loosely. He was the King of Kings. He was the Lord of Lords. All things come into existence through him. And in humanity's crucial moment, he chose to hold those things loosely so that he could hold on to you and I tightly. See, the message of the gospel is this, that Jesus gave up his own life. He was generous with his life. He gave up his physical body. He was crushed on the cross for you and for me so that we could receive what he rightfully deserved, which is a perfect freestanding relationship with our creator for all eternity, free from sin, free from pain of brokenness, free from the temptation of pursuing wealth. Why? Because he was generous with his life so that he could hold on tightly to you and I. You see, the message of Christianity is this, who has you is more important than what you have. Jesus said it this way, what good is it for you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Jesus doesn't want your wealth. In fact, he doesn't need it. Jesus wants your trust. He wants you to trust him with your marriage. He wants you to trust him with your relationships and who you choose to date. Jesus wants you to, to trust him with your children and your careers, the important decisions in your life. Jesus wants you to trust him with, with your health and, and education and politics and your wealth. Now, here at Eastern Hills, one of the ways that we respond is through an act 
of worship through giving. And, and we do that through our, our website, if you're online, or app, if you're on site, we're actually starting to take offering again at the end of service. But listen, this if you're leaning in today and thinking, I'm not really sure where I'm at with Jesus, don't give because I'm telling you to, or that you feel like you have to. I want you to give because you feel like it's an opportunity for you to trust in Jesus as an act of obedience, that I am holding my wealth open. I'm open-handed. I'm holding it loosely and I'm holding on to Jesus tightly and I'm choosing to invest in what's best. I'm choosing to invest in God's kingdom. And, And my commitment to you is that if you move forward in obedience and follow this command, what you're going to experience is something that truly satisfies and it's a thriving relationship with Jesus. Something that the wealth of this world can never satisfy. And as you grow in your relationship with him, you'll be so encouraged to invest generously in the life of others and say, this, this is what I've been missing. Let's pray. Father, I, I know that anytime we talk about money in church, it's uncomfortable. And, and some people are watching right now and internally they're wrestling with things and, and maybe they disagree. Would you cut through the temptation to just check out, the temptation to just be just frustrated? Would you lean in in this moment and speak to each person that's listening and is watching and is engaged and help them see what you have to offer? Help them see that the wealth of this world will never satisfy. Help them see those things that they're holding tightly to outside of you. Give them the courage and strength to open up their hands and to be generous with what you so richly provide. And Father, today, I mean, if someone tuned in and they've just lost their job, I mean, talk about the message to tune in and be like, oh, he just doesn't get where I'm coming. Father, I pray that you would provide for that situation, that you'd raise up brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside and to provide that act of generosity. For that family that is that is being torn apart because of how they use their wealth, would, would you give them the wisdom that they need to make good choices that honor you and to set them free from being a slave to debt, to being a slave to money? Would you give them the wisdom to see how, help them see how work, wealth can work for them and not against them? Father, help our church be a generous church that because you have given so generously to us that the community of Central New York would be different because we're holding on tightly to you and holding loosely to our wealth. Pray all of these things in the power of your son, Christ's name, amen. Well, I wanna thank you for for watching. And and before you check out today, we're gonna sing one more song together as an act of, of worship. And I will see you again in a few weeks. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.